Welcome back to another edition of Inside the Huddle Podcast with Brady Zaprenit. Had a pretty big weekend last weekend. Uh, some big games, some statement games. Cathedral Catholic knocked off Helix, which was a big game for them. Uh, Mission Hills got their first win of the year. They beat Carlsbad last weekend. I thought that was an impressive win. Christian High School knocking off Monta Vista in overtime last week. That's another big win. And we got a lot of a lot of big wins and a lot of opinions this week, as uh, you know the most majority of the season goes. In between, you know, the middle of the season, everyone's got their own opinion on who should be ranked where and what ratings matter and what rankings matter. Here's the deal: my opinion doesn't matter. The Union Tribune's top ten doesn't matter. The Southern California Prep Insider top ten doesn't matter. The Coach's Corner top twenty-five doesn't matter. All these individual rate ranking systems don't matter. The one that matters is Cal Preps, and the one that matters is Max Preps, which is the same one as Cal Preps. So if you go and you check out the Cal Preps top ten, I'm gonna go through the Union Tribune top ten right now. I'm not gonna tell you the team name, but I'm gonna give you in order of rank from one to ten what that team's rank is on Cal Preps. So the number one team according to the Union Tribune is two in Cal Preps, and then one, eight, three, seven, four, five, six, twenty-four, and nine. I'll go through that again. One through ten, according to the Union Tribune, top twenty or top ten. This is how the top ten faces in the Cal Preps ratings, which determines the playoffs. And this is this is countywide, not division. Two, one, eight, three, seven, four, five, six, twenty-four, and nine. What stands out to me, original or first off, looking at it, there's one team in there that doesn't belong. If you're looking at the number system, and that's twenty-four for the ninth-ranked team in the Union Tribune, that is Lincoln. Lincoln's four and zero. They're off to a great start. But according to Cal Preps, they're number 24 in the county. According to the Union Tribune, they're number 9. A little bit of a disparity there between the one that determines the playoffs and what we think opinion-wise. And we talked about this last week, whether we like the the computer ratings or the human element like it used to be. I'm going to put it this way. The computer ratings have been 100% nails the last 4 or 5 years, whatever it was, where they implemented... The computer ratings. As soon as they made that open division playoff and they decided to use the computer, not a single 5-8 through eight team has won. And that is because the computer ratings have been spot on. And people want to, you know, what about the eye test? What about this? What about that? You know, that's all good elements that, uh, to put in. And it's not a perfect system. But I don't need to be hearing about how Lincoln doesn't get any respect. They're number 24 according to Cal Preps. Okay? They played a fairly easy schedule so far and I don't want to take anything away from Lincoln I think they're a good team and I think they'll probably bump their way up and they're again they're playing the competition that's in front of them it's not their fault that's just the teams they play and that's the league they're in it's going to get a lot more difficult for them during league play but let's look at the, the top 25 according to Cal Preps okay and think about it this way top 25 according to Cal Preps is the top 25 teams um and this is the order that they're in based on strength of schedule. Helix is the number one team in strength of schedule according to the top 25 teams in Cal Preps. They got a 43.8 rating. Okay, That's a good reason why I think Helix is going to be there near the end of the year. Now, if they lose the Saints on Friday, they're done. I mean, there's no way they make the open playoff with four losses and the hole that they're in. But the strength of schedule is going to help them out. If you go through the top 25... Lincoln comes in at number 26. Okay, Benita Vista is not in the top 25, but they got the fifth highest strength of schedule in the county with a 32.5 rating on their strength of schedule. Highest is Helix at 43.8. The lowest is Lincoln with a negative 16.1. These are a lot of numbers. I know coaches don't like looking at numbers, and it's, you know, don't want at the analytics, and we're not going to get into the whole crazy analytics of, like, baseball. But just to put in perspective what really matters. 
Torrey Pines was the number one team rated in San Diego, according to Union Tribune. Well-deserved, they're 4-0. Their strength schedule comes in at number 13 in the county with an 18.4. Mission Hills comes in at number 10 in the UT, and people are upset. Well, they're 1-3. Yeah, well, they're the third highest-rated strength schedule in the city of San Diego, in the San Diego section. Okay, I know you still got to win games, but let's have a little bit of perspective. Okay, here's the deal. When they implemented that new, when they implemented the new system, and they made it where it doesn't matter on school size anymore. All that matters is what's going to happen when it comes to, or all that matters really, is how good you are. And there's a there's a there's a system for that. Okay, and that's how it's determined. So you look at the way the system is. Look at the Division Four championship last year. Monta Vista and San Diego High. San Diego High is a Division One size school. Monta Vista was a Division Two, Division One size school. They're in the D four championship. Hats off to them. Both both teams had a great season. Both teams did a really good job. But at the end of the day, they're D1 size schools playing in Division 4. And the way the system's set up, the top 10 should be all Division 1 teams every single week. And it's not because they're overlooking some schools, and it's not because they're not giving them respect. It's all about perspective. And I interviewed Charles James of San Diego High, and I think they've done a great job last year. But I bet you if you asked him, do you think you can hang? Well, obviously, all the coaches think they can play with anybody. But if they had a play to schedule that had Helix, Mission Hills, and Cathedral in it, they would not be in the open play. They would not have made the CIF championship game. Cathedral was 5-7 and seven last year. They would have won Division 3, 4, 5, and probably Division 2 last year. And they were 5-7. and seven. It's all about perspective. And it's great for the kids. You know, I love the system. I love the way it is now. But I think we need to have we need to pump the brakes a little bit and put just put a little bit of perspective on what that number of that record is next to that team's name and what it actually means. Christian is four and right now. They received some top ten votes. But if you look at their strength schedule. It comes in at 22 in the county, a negative 1.1. Christian High School is one of those schools that, you know, they, they, they play really well. Okay, they're a Division three school. They play a lot better than their size of school. They only got like 500 kids, and what they do with that is remarkable. But we need a little bit of perspective here. They beat Montevist in overtime, which I thought was a great win. Okay, they played Kings Academy, El Cap, and Santana. And no disrespect to those schools, but that's just not the cream of the crop when it comes to you know teams in San Diego County. And I I, I don't want to listen to I I got to knock the noise down about how Helix doesn't deserve to be in the top ten. They're one in three, yada yada yada. They played a Royal Grande, Cajon, Saguaro, and Cathedral Catholic. Cajon is ranked 29 in the country. And they lost Elion Noah in the first drive of that game. If Elion Noah plays in that Cajon game, do they win? Probably not. Is it a lot closer? Absolutely. Elion Noah is probably the top two running back in San Diego County. I mean, he is a game changer. If Elion Noah plays in that Cajon game, it's not a 43-3 game. They probably lose by a touchdown, maybe two at the most. Elion Noah then does not play in the Royal Grande game. They handle a Royal Grande. They're better than a Royal Grande. That's fine. He doesn't play in the Saguaro game. If he plays in the Saguaro game, they win that football game. They lost by a touchdown. They had a chance to win at the end. They were missing Elion Noah, and they were missing Daniel Amon. They're starting quarterback. 
I tell you what, I watched Delshawn Trailer play last week. That guy is a warrior. That is an under the radar warrior type player that Helix has. He played both ways the entire game. He played quarterback. He played safety. He was all over the field. That guy is a player. And he played his ass off. But I'm telling you right now, Helix with Elion Noah is a different Helix than without Elion Noah. And it's 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 night and day difference. The other one is Mission Hills. They're 1-3. and three. Again, they cracked the top 10 this week, according to the Union Tribune. And uh, I'm pretty sure in the Southern California Prep Insider Poll as well. They played Paramount. They played Westlake. They played Chaminade. They hung with most of those teams. They did, The most points they gave up to any of those teams was 28 to Westlake Village. And their offense actually turned the ball over multiple times with pick sixes and fumble recoveries for touchdowns. Mission Hills is going to battle their way back in this Avocado League. Are they going to make the open playoff? Probably not. Are they going to be a force in D1? Absolutely. Don't sleep on Mission Hills. Mission Hills is going to ruin an Avocado League season. They are. Mission Hills is about to be the dark horse that nobody wants to play in the Avocado League, and they're going to start knocking people out. The Avocado League right now is scheduled to have two teams in the open playoff. If you look at the Cal Preps ratings, which is what determines the playoffs, La Costa Canyon, Torrey Pines, Cathedral Saints. you got two Avocado League teams. you got two Western League teams. If Carlsbad wins this weekend over San Marcos, that might knock one of those teams out of, the, out of contention. I can see Mission Hills being a force that knocks the Avocado League's opportunity to have two teams in the open playoff out. Great win last week for Mission Hills. They got a lot of work to do. They're my dark horse. And we'll get into that. The other thing I want to get into as this week's Inside the Huddle podcast comes about, and it's it's the assistant coaches podcast. we got three assistant coaches on, great coaches, all three of them. Mario Fierro of Cathedral Catholic for Lane Batofi, the offensive coordinator for Kearney. And he runs Team Mikasi during the offseason and during the Mikasi Bowl as well as Anthony Laxina of uh, Olympian. And we'll get to all those coaches. And we'll talk about the unwritten rules of being up by 50 points. 50 is just a number, but being up in a blowout game and the running clock and what you have to do as a team that's winning. And whether or not it's a two-way street. I brought this up last week when I was talking about the softball game I played in last week, and the other team was upset that we were taking a couple extra bags and not swinging at certain pitches. Well, we were up by a lot of runs. But here's the deal. Is it a two-way street? If you're going to, and this is just a softball reference, but if you know I'm going to swing at mostly any pitch to try to keep the game moving, and you start pitching balls that are way over my head, behind me, or nowhere near the zone, I'm not going to swing at it. Because I think that hampers the integrity of the game. And some of these coaches bring up some good points when it comes to, look, it's a running clock. I'm going to get my twos in. I want my quarterback to play. At the end of the day, that's the only time he's probably going to play. I'm going to let him throw the ball. He's a quarterback. I'm not trying to run it up. I'm trying to give that kid reps. I'm trying to, he's got, he wants to have some fun. I want him to throw the ball a little bit. If we're running between the tackles and you guys start teeing off on the other team as a defensive team, that's down by 50 points, and you know we're going to run between the tackles, and you stack nine guys in the box, all of a sudden I'm going to throw the ball. Because I don't want my kid to get hurt. I don't want my running back to get hurt. I think it's a two-way street, in my opinion. And some of the coaches will say, you know, doesn't matter. We already won. I got the kids out there. Yeah, but look at it this way. I don't want my kids to get hurt, and I also want to work on some other things. If you stack the box on the other team when we're running up when we're running between the tackles cuz you know that's what we're going to do because of the running clock, I'm changing it up. If you ask for a running clock and then run no huddle after getting a first down against my third string defense, we might have a problem. 
But that's just me. I'm the young guy, okay? That's how I, I know how you coach. You coaches probably when you're in your young age, fiery like me, and I'm sure you can give me some some pointers on how to tone it down a little bit. But that's my philosophy on it. And I'm sure as age goes on and I, I continue to, to see this game and, and to wise up and, and learn a little bit more about being an educator and being a, a coach, I'm sure I, I might change my opinion on that. But as of right now, I'm running between the tackles. I'm up 50 points. You stack the box. We got a problem. If I'm the team down, look, I want you to play. I'll go out and play, man. I want my team to play the whole time. We're going to fight to the end. I don't need any handouts. But again, it's not about me. It's about the kids. It's what the kids want. So we'll get into that in just a little bit, talking to those coaches. When we come back, we're going to have Mario Fierro on. Uh, op- when we come back, we're going to have Mario Fierro on, assistant coach at Cathedral Catholic. He's going to talk about the big games they had and his uh, really uh, interesting story of how he got into coaching. That's next on the Inside the Huddle podcast. Welcome back to Inside the Huddle Podcast with Braden Soprena. I'm now joined by assistant coach of the Cathedral Catholic Dons, Mario Fierro, uh, a good friend of mine and a, a guest of many of podcasts that I've had. Uh, coach, how you doing tonight? How you doing, Braden? Great to be on as always. Uh, I'm doing uh, fantastic. Just uh, you know, hanging out, doing some uh, high school football talk is. I love to do, and let's let's talk about you know your passion for football and how you got into coaching and why you decided to become a coach. Um, well, that's that's my life story involving football is actually pretty interesting. Uh, I fell in love with the game uh, probably around three, four years old. I mean, I can honestly remember watching, you know, the Super Bowls and the Chargers and going to games with my dad and. And I just watched it like a little kid. I actually sit down. I actually asked my mom this the other day. I said, how long would I sit down and watch your average game, Saturday, Sunday, college, NFL? She's like, you just sit down and watch. And uh, I remember stats from, you know, back in the day in the Chargers, and, and they were my favorite team growing up. Uh, obviously, it's a sore subject now. But getting into coaching, um, I always liked the, the, uh, the X's and O's aspect of football, I loved playing. I was a pretty good player growing up. Not uh, not a great player, but I enjoyed it. And um, right around, I think, freshman year of high school, I started helping out at uh, parochial at my old alma mater uh, in Coronado, Sacred Heart. And uh, I just would do it to get service hours. My brother was playing or, you know, I had, you know, friends, old brothers playing and whatnot. But it was when I graduated high school and I was uh, going uh, running here at Mesa. I was running track there. Uh, I was like, you know what, I, I kind of want to keep coaching. So I started coaching at, at Sacred Heart Coronado. Uh, uh, Mr. Steve LaPerry was my grade school principal. He's the uh, president at Cathedral Catholic now. And, and he gave me an opportunity and started coaching. And um, I fell in love with it. And uh got into at uni when uh, one of our uh, one of the kids I coached uh, the first year I was there was a young man by the name of Alex Crossway he was a sixth grader uh, and he was pounds and I said you're gonna play football and he grew uh, and and just a great kid that just blossomed into an amazing football player in person and uh, once he went to Cathedral I, I, I talked to coach Doyle and uh, he was able to give me an opportunity coaching uh, JV football, coaching O-line, which was not a position I ever played, but I, I met with uh, uh, O-line coach at the time, Coach Dustin Neese, who uh, I owe a lot to. He taught me a lot about you know, coaching the O-line and gave me some tips on, on how to coach D-line. And, and uh, I, I'm glad I did that because it, once you coach the lines, you really understand the game so much better and uh, moved up to coach uh, one of the freshman uh, teams, the gold team. I was a head coach, and you were uh, part of that first staff. Your dad was on the staff with me, and you were a freshman. And uh, from then on, I just helped out as much as I could, and then it's been history from there. 
Let's talk about your, uh, you know, we're talking to a lot of assistant coaches today, um, but you had some time, you know, whatever level of being a head coach. How was that experience for you? Um, you know, I was kind of around, so I know most of the, the stories of, of what happened during that season. But for you, as from the Mario Fierro perspective, how important was it for you to be a head coach of any level, um, you know, at the high school level? And uh, how did that make you the coach you are today? You know, it's funny. Um, being a coach has is, 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 uh, humbled me so much. You know, I, I thought I knew what football was when I was coaching, you know, parochial football at, you know, at the age of 19 because I knew all the stats and talked football with my friends and we knew way too much about the Chargers and things like that. In reality, I didn't know anything. And I found that out, you know, when I started coaching high school. But that, that first year being a head coach – um, the responsibility that's placed upon you when you have you're you're essentially responsible for 40 to 50 kids freshman kids at that and you know I was you know 25 years old at the time and uh, I probably didn't look much older than some of the kids that I was coaching so uh, what I found out and having a great guy like your dad helping me out and mentoring me uh, it, it taught me that you know, one of the mottos that, that I, I, I picked up is something I, I read in, in a book uh, about Bill Belichick is, is that the more you can do, the more you can do. And there's nothing I've ever turned down or uh, decided I didn't want to help with. If, if, the minute you think you're too good for something, that's when you kind of realize it's, it's going the wrong direction. So I learned that in order to be a head coach, you, you are responsible for so much and you have to take that seriously. Well, now you're on the varsity staff and a big impact of that varsity staff helping out with special teams and outside linebackers. Let's focus a little bit on the outside linebackers you coach. Uh, you got two starters that are great kids, and they've done unbelievable things so far this year. What can you say about Jordan Allen, um, the junior, and then Ethan Simley, the senior, your two outside linebackers this year? Jordan, I don't think, is even close to a finished product. Um, he is so talented. And he has gotten better every single game. And I think um, everybody saw that last week in the Helix game. Probably had his best game of the you know, he had his best game of the year. You know, 10-plus tackles, uh, you know, returns a, a block punt for a touchdown. And the thing that I appreciated the most is I think he made only one or two um, situational mistakes. Uh, he did everything I asked him to do and you know no one's going to play a perfect game we all strive for that so to have one or two you know, tiny mistakes in, in a game of that magnitude is absolutely incredible he's going to I mean he's only a junior so I, I can get him back next year uh, I can't even imagine uh, the sky's the limit Ethan Simley um, I think last year he was a kid that you know we, we gave him one role you know rush the passer use your speed um, what he did this off season in terms of, you know, running track and field, and you know, expanding his athleticism that way, you know, a full off season in the weight room, increased body weight, increased strength, has turned him into a, you know, almost like a, a five tool player. He's able to rush the passer like he did last year. He he knows what the offense is trying to do to him, so he's become a more intelligent player, and he's he's just strong enough to. I mean, again, he was going up against a, a 300 pounds plus offensive tackle, and at 190 pounds, you know, he was he was holding him off and and being in the right spots and making plays. And I think he's a guy that can absolutely play at the next level uh, at the right school. You had some big games out of your outside linebackers the last couple of days and our last couple of games and Cathedral's played great uh, as of late you know beating a Sarah Gardena um, I know a team that was 12th in the state when you guys played them as well as Helix last week what was the key to success for you guys to you know after starting the season one and one to knock off two pretty important pretty big deal teams uh, these last two weeks well um you know, the, it was the loss that kind of that kind of woke woke us up. I I I will admit I didn't do a very good job that week coaching up my guys, and it, it forced me to take a really introspective look at what I what I was doing and at what I could do better. And 
you know, I, I, I watched a ton of more film with, with the El Camino and, 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 and the Sarah games and just wanted to be more prepared to get my guys better prepared. Coach Blontali put in a great game plan against Gardena Sarah. Um, you know, we were, we were in a dime package for most of that game, and my guys had to play, uh, you know, they were outside backers. They played five techniques, uh, you know, not what they're used to doing is pass rushers, just pass rushing and doing their job. I think they did a great job and didn't um, try to do more than they were supposed to do. Uh, obviously, that uh, the scheme, and uh, I, I attribute it to the fact that our, our boys played tenaciously uh, getting to the football and, and our offense, which, you know, a school like uh, most Southern section schools don't see that offense. So, you know, the wing tee can be tough for, for teams that really don't see it. Uh, we saw it with Narbonne and, and again with Gardena. So I felt pretty good about the game, but obviously the, the bit of nervousness that until it happens, it happens. Against Helix, credit to them. They are an unbelievably tough, well-coached, hard-nosed team. And we were fortunate in the way. And I think that loss at the beginning of the year to LCC happened to teach us something. That's the way I'm looking at it. And the minute I get comfortable, I remind myself how I felt after that loss, and and you know that the comfort goes away. Let's get into you guys are on a bye week this week. How does Cathedral Catholic approach a bye week? How do you approach a bye week? What are you guys doing this week um, as uh, you know a bye week kind of early in the season? You know, we just finished uh, a stretch of pretty tough games: um, LCC, El Camino, Gardner. all. You know, well-coached, tough teams uh, all do something different. All you know have you know a different preparation. Uh, you know, this is by no means a mental break, but it is a time for kids to heal up uh, from any injuries. Uh, if you're banged up, you heal up, and also from a standpoint, you you're preparing for the future, but you're not you're not really in the in the trenches trying to for what you're going to do on Friday. So it's it's not a mental health week by any chance, but it is kind of an opportunity to uh, step back, reflect, and gear up for the next third of the season. You know, you break the season up into, into certain quadrants, and the way I did it personally, I don't know about the rest of, you know, our, our group of, of coaches, but I broke it up into thirds. You know, these first four games, these next six, and then the playoffs. So that's kind of the way I'm approaching it. I brought up last week on the podcast, I don't know if you heard about it, a situation where, you know, you're up in the game late and there's these unwritten rules of, you know, what you should do in a classy manner um, in a lot of these blowout running clock games. And there's sometimes when you're in these games, you know, you try to run it between the tackles, you're not trying to pass, you're not trying to run no huddle. Um, so you do that because the teams want to get out of there with no injuries. But then again, sometimes these teams that are losing by that much know you're going to do that and then load the box. Or then they, uh, they try to run no huddle themselves. What, do you, what is your uh, take on, on this unwritten rule of, of having sportsmanship in class? And is it, is it a one-way street? Or should the team that's losing uh, you know, kind of play to that effect as well? Um, well, I, I, I might uh, not win a lot of friends with this opinion, but... Um... I think the people that usually bring this stuff up, and, and I'm guilty of it, it's usually because you lose a game. It's never because you win a game that you start to realize these things. You know, I think back to the Folsom game where we got our butts kicked. Um, what was it, 55-10? to 10? And I, I, I looked at, you know, having broken them down the, the, the whole previous couple weeks, and, you know, they, they throw the ball. I, I didn't take offense to what they did personally because that was what they did. You know, they throw the ball and that's what they're going to do. And we couldn't stop them. We got them into 10 fourth down situations. We stopped them once. And that's because they snapped the ball over Jake Browning's head. You know, we couldn't stop them. And I think um, if you're running gimmick plays and uh, all kinds of stuff against an overmatched opponent, that's obviously, uh, I mean, it's... It is what it is. If you're going to do that, then that's on you, and you've got to live with yourself. But, but if you can't stop the team you're playing against and they're just doing what they do, um, I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I really don't let things like that bother me. 
um, you know, the, the, there can be situations where, you know, you, you're playing a rival and, and the way things turn out and, and you, you take it a certain way. But, you know, there's always next year and you gear up and you try to, try to do the same thing they did to the to you to them so i think that's what uh, it, it it comes down to to me no disrespect it's just kind of you're trying to beat the team and the other team's trying to beat you coach Firo, great stuff as always thanks again for joining uh this week's inside the huddle podcast um thank you very much Brent. it's always great to be on here and 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 good job by you you're doing a great job down there with uh with our jv squad and and that you know it, it, you guys are a hard, hard-working group, and it's, it's just let you know you guys are doing a great job as well. Thank you. I, I appreciate the, the broadcast compliments as well as the, the coaching compliments. I'm, I try my best. Coach, thanks again. Welcome back to Inside the Huddle Podcast with Brayden Soprenit, talking to a lot of assistant coaches today. we got the offensive coordinator of the Kearney Commons, Verlaine Batofi. Verlaine, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How's it going today, Braden? It's going great. Uh, Verlaine, you know, you've, you've been around the block a little bit, running uh, your offense, doing some great things with Team Akasi. But what uh, what got you into coaching? What made you want to be a coach and, uh, you know, pursue, uh, you know, being the play caller in football? Um, it was kind of a, a weird situation how it happened. Uh, one of my very good mentors, his name is Coach Rolando. Um, you know, he was one of the guys that kind of helped me get to college when I was in high school. Uh, once I was done playing, I was just back here working. And then um, I remember he gave me a call one day and said that, uh, you know, one of his coaches for this All-Star game he was throwing, you know, uh, you know, couldn't do it no more. He needed somebody to come help him, you know, just call plays. And I was like, I always thought I would be pretty good because, I, you know, I always kind of knew the game, but, you know, I just didn't really know. So I told him, you know, if you want me to come, just, you know, let me call, let me call at least half of the plays. And he was like, that's fine, just come. So, you know, uh, long story short, you know, we play in this – it's a Polynesian all-star game. You know, it's my first time ever coaching. I don't – I'm first off playing. I'm like two years removed off playing. And then, uh, you know, he first series he calls it. We don't score it. And he puts me in, uh, you know, the second series. And I call like three plays, and then we score like a 70-yard touchdown. And I, he just looks at me, and he's like, damn, that was pretty impressive. And I, and I was – I kind of shocked myself a little bit. Like, I kind of just saw things before it happened and then he took like the next three four series and then I think he scored once and I took like the series after that and then I scored again and I was kind of doing things on a move because we only had about you know two really days of practicing and stuff like that so you know long story short I think we won 35 to like 14 and I end up you know calling like four touchdowns and I probably call like 25 percent of the game and then you know from there you know, he just really talked to me. He's like, man, I think you might, you know, you might have something, you know what I mean, if you really pursue it. And then, uh, you know, other than that, I gave uh, my old high school head coach, uh, defensive coordinator at the time, Rick Jackson, a call and told him I was interested in coaching. And then uh, and then the journey started there. How, uh, how was that experience for you coaching at Madison with Rick Jackson and the staff that he had? And, you know, what did you, uh, what did you learn from that experience? Man, I learned uh, a whole lot. Uh, you know what? You know, the things that people don't know about Coach Jackson is, you know, Coach Jackson is the most prepared and organized, you know, coach you will ever meet. So, like, you know, he taught me how to, you know, be prepared. He taught me how to watch film. He taught me how to be organized. You know, he taught me how to, you know, just kind of be a, you know, be a coach and be a leader. So, uh, you know, he just did a lot for how he ran the program. I was there, you know, I played for him when, you know, in 2002 when we kind of had our first really good year. But I remember when Madison was, you know, it was terrible, you know what I mean? So I kind of see him just kind of built the program over the years. So I was fortunate to get in a situation where, you know, you know, I think, you know, Red Jackson is one of the top 10 or five coaches of all time in San Diego history, you know, his, you know, resume speaks for itself. So, you know, just learning from, you know, a guy like that, you know, my first couple of years kind of really helped me, you know, take my game to the next level, you know, because I wanted to, you know, do what he was doing or even, you know, better, but, you know, he was a great, you know, just mentor and just, you know, great person I can go to for advice and everything like that. And he kind of really, you know, kind of helped, you know, jumpstart my coaching career. So I'm always really, really thankful for him for that. Your next stop was uh, Lincoln High School, and you know everybody learns different lessons at other places. So, what 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 kind of challenges did you face at Lincoln, and uh, you know what was your you know growth experience after uh, you know leaving uh, the Hornets? 
Oh man, uh, Lincoln was Lincoln was great because it was my first time actually, you know, being an offensive coordinator by myself. You know, the last two years at Madison, you know, me and Jackson were basically, you know, kind of like co-offensive coordinators. You know, he called most, he called the runs, and and I called a lot of the passes and stuff like that. So you know, we both kind of did that, but you know, it was different at Lincoln because it was, you know, I was the full-time offensive coordinator, so I got to make, you know, all the you know calls and and, and you know, kind of put the practice plan together and kind of do things like that. So it was a it was a learning experience for me, you know, being my first time doing it. But, you know, Coach Dunn, you know, did a good job of helping me out. But, you know, I grew a lot. You know, you grow as a coach and as just as a person. You know, you grow every single time through experience. And I think that experience last year, and I think we did some really, really good things offensively, just kind of, you know, catapulted me to, you know, what I'm doing this year. You know, just looking back on the year, we did a lot of great things, but I learned a whole lot from just, you know, what to call on certain situations. You know, you can't do this, you know, maybe prepare this way for this way. And just, you know, little the little things like that is just kind of, you know, help me help me as an offensive coordinator, you know, uh, you know, right now at Kearney. Last minute, you end up being the offensive coordinator at Kearney High School um, for the Comets, and they got some good players. But, you know, despite showing up a little late, you guys were dropping 50 points on your first two opponents. How were you able to get those guys ready to go in such a short amount of time? Man, I think a lot of it is just, you know, like I said, uh, you know, that's why I thank, you know, Madison, you know, my first, you know, five years of coaching, I was at Madison. So I really you know, kind of knew how I was to be, you know, prepared. So, you know, every day I would come to practice with a practice plan. You know, the coaches knew what they were doing. I had things that I wanted to touch on every single day. So, you know, if you kind of prepare that way, and after two weeks you'll have everything that you want put in. So, you know, just a lot of attention to details, you know, putting a lot of emphasis on the kids to learn more than they have to learn, you know, challenging them. And I always tell them, like, you know, if you guys want to play in college, you know, you guys got to learn a lot. So, you know, with kids, I've noticed that, if you give them, uh, you know, 50% of effort or work, you know, they're going to give you 50% back. But if you challenge them 100%, they're going to, you know, they're going to bring 100% to the table. So I really challenge these guys to learn a playbook and really, you know, kind of hold them accountable and, and be on them and coach them up and, you know, really, really just get these guys focused, you know, because I know a lot of their goals is to play at the college level. So, you know, I try to coach as if I was in college. So by the time they get there, you know, the transition is not as difficult, you know, by, you know, by jumping from high school to college. So I think that's just a big part of me, just, you know, holding these guys accountable and and, te- and treating these guys like, you know, like they're going to be freshmen in college so that way they can get used to it already right now. Curdy's got some guys. you got some players over there. you got a good quarterback. Um, talk, talk to me about uh, the offensive unit you guys have and, you know, the weapons that the Kearney Comets have. Man, we got some. We got a lot of guys that can that can play football. You know, the good thing is, you know, uh, four of our old linemen are junior. We got one senior on the offensive line, and they're you know we got some big boys. We got a tackle that's six four, two eighty five. You know, my other tackle on the other side is six three, three oh five. Um, you know, our quarterback, he's a three year starter. He's you know he's off to a a great year. I think he he's averaging like two hundred and ninety two yards passing right now, and he's throwing. You know, he has 15 touchdowns and 14 passing touchdowns uh, in three games. Um, we got a guy named, you know, Devin Jones, who's who's just an athlete. He plays slot. He plays running back for us. He's one of those guys that can, you know, do a lot. Um, you know, Xavier Tate, you know, he's another one that can play. You know, he's one of our slot receivers. We got D'Amico Hill. He's probably, I think, one of the most underrated players in the, in the county. He's about 6'1". He's about, he's about a buck fifty, but you know the kid could run. You know what I mean? So he's been doing some great things with us. And uh, you know Hayden Lundy, you know our big receiver outside. So all all four of our receivers right now have over three touchdowns. You know they're blocking for each other. They're having fun. You know they're you know quarterbacks having fun. We're throwing it all over the park. We're running it. We're just having a good time and you know trying to you know trying to have a party in the end zone. So that was kind of our motto this year, offensively. Uh, that brings up a good point. You had your motto, party in the end zone, and you also have, uh, you know, you do hashtag uh, run it up all the time as well. Um, what, is the, what, is, what is the background of those two things? Why did you come up with those uh, two mottos, and what does it mean to, to you and your team? Um, uh, my motto offensively is just basically is just go 100 miles per hour. You know, I tell these guys, like, you know, I'm one of those guys where, 
you know, if I can score 50 or 60 points, I'm going to try to score 50 or 60 points. You know what I mean? Uh, that's always kind of been my motto. So I try to preach it to the kids. You know, the goal is, you know, to get in the end zone as many as as many times as possible. So, you know, in practice, once we get in, we celebrate. Every time we do something, we get in the end zone, we celebrate. You know, so, you know, the goal for these guys, it's a mentality that you instill in these guys, you know, as far as just, you know, scoring a lot of points and, and trying to be the best offense in the county. You know, that's our goal is to try to be the best offense in uh, in the county. And, you know, all our kids are kind of buying into that. And they're, you know, they're all gelling together and they're seeing how we're having some success. So, you know, you know that's just our motto, just run it up, you know, party in the end zone, just have fun, you know, go out there, have fun, get in the end zone, you know, just, you know, do do all that type of stuff. So that's kind of our motto. We're talking to Verlaine Batovia, the offensive coordinator of the Kearney Comets. Uh, Verlaine, you got a game on, on Friday against San Ysidro. They're 0-4. Um, they're probably not at your level caliber-wise. How do you keep your kids focused to not overlook this team, and how do you keep uh, firing on all cylinders this week? Um, I always tell them, you know, football is one of those things where, you know, anybody could get beat any single day. You know, I remember a couple years back, Appalachian State won in a big house, and they beat like a top-five-ranked Michigan team with Mike Hart, and all these big-time guys, Chad Henney and stuff like that. So the game of football is a weird sport. You know, you can't underestimate anybody. You know, you can come out and have a bad day, and then another team could have a good day. You know, I also had experience when I was at Madison where we played uh, Mission Bay. I think it was in 2013. I think we beat them by, like, 45 in a regular season. And then we just kind of over, you know, you know, uh, overlooked them. You know, so it was our second-round game. You know, we thought we're just going to blow these guys, get to the semis, and and get to CIS, and then, you know, Mission Bay beat us in the in the second round of the playoffs. And then, you know, ever since then, like, my motto changed all the way. We treat every single game like it's a championship game. You know, we don't look at the, you know, we don't look at the record. We don't look at the, you know, the, the D, you know, we don't look at none of that stuff. We look at it as this team right here wants to beat us, and this team is a championship team, and we have to play our A game because, you know, we're playing, we're playing, we're trying to play for ourselves. You know what I mean? We're trying to play, we're trying to play at a high level every time. We're trying to play our A game. So we don't measure ourselves to any other team. We try to set that bar high for us and kind of sustain that. Before we get to the top of the week, let's talk about Team Makasi and what you guys are doing over there. What, is, what does Makasi mean? What is, uh, what is your guys' philosophy um, in the whole Team Makasi? Talk about the, the bowl game you have and, uh, you know, the offseason seven on seven you guys do. Uh, Makasi just stands for strong in my native language in uh, Lingala. So it just means strong. So I thought that word would just kind of fit in, you know, in life. I just feel like, you know, in order to prevail in life, you got to stay strong. There's going to be hard times, tough times, but as long as you stay strong through it all, you know, you'll kind of, you know, prevail through that, you know. So uh, I've just been blessed. You know, Team Makasi has, you know, been doing some wonderful things. You know, the, you know, the reason why I started it was, I remember being in high school, you know, when I went to Madison as well, you know, there's about, I would say, 15 of us that grew up in, you know, the southeast area, you know what I mean, and we all were bussed out to Madison. And, you know, we had a lot of talented friends that could have, you know, went on and played college football, but, you know, a lot of these guys was, you know, caught up in the streets, you know, caught up in gangs, and you know, caught up in just things like that. And a lot of these guys were smart guys, had talent and things, you know, and just, you know, things like that. But what they didn't really have was mentors, you know, guys that kind of been there and done that so they can explain to them what they did. So, you know, I remember high school always thinking like, man, imagine if we had, you know, kind of people that came from our, our same environment that that played college football or played college basketball that went to college and did things like that, you know, that took us on the weekends to run routes or, or just to do more more for us, you know. Instead of, you know, two out of 15 of us that went to college, it could have been eight out of 15 of us, you know what I mean? So that was really my main reason to start Makasi was just to be an influence and trying to get back to the community and, you know, try to help out, you know, kids of all all light, you know, to, to maximize their potential. You know, that's what we're trying to do, try to maximize your potential on and off the field so it's more than just football. You know, we mentor, we take guys on college trips. You know, we try to help with, you know, with kids and recruiting. You know, we try to do everything we can possibly in order just to, you know, help, you know, help these guys go to the, you know, help these guys get to the next level and just maximize themselves. And um, the ball game's been fun. It's going to be the, you know, it's going to be the third year of us doing it. You know, we've had about over 80 to 100 Division One guys playing it from San Diego and IE. You know, it's been some good competition. 
we've kind of whipped on the IE two straight years, so they've kind of been, you know, really mad and talking this year. But it's just something fun I want to do just to kind of bridge the two communities. And I know, you know, a couple of years ago I've been talking to a lot of college coaches, and they were just kind of saying that IE had a lot more talent than San Diego. And, you know, being from being a San Diego guy, I, I kind of disagree with that. So, you know, I thought it was fitting that, you know, a bowl game with San Diego and IE, you know, will kind of settle, you know, who has better talent. So, so far, we're two and zero, and you know this year we're you know we're gonna we're trying to make it three and zero. Verlaine Batovia, the Kearney Comets offensive coordinator, doing a great job over there with Kearney. They're now three and zero. They got a game against San Ysidro on Friday. Coach, thanks for joining me again, and uh, good luck on this Friday night. Appreciate you, Braden. Keep up the great work. Welcome back to Inside the Huddle podcast with Braden Suprenit. I'm now joined by the assistant coach at Olympian High School, Anthony Laxina. Uh, coach Laxina, how you doing tonight? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great myself. Uh, so we're on this uh, assistant coach episode this week, and I asked all the head coaches and the assistant coaches that I bring on, how do you? How did you get into coaching? What made you want to be a coach? Why are you coaching high school football? Well, you know, I love football, so uh, I've had a little stint at Southwestern College, but after that, in around about 1992, I started coaching at Sweetwater and Coach Adam. And a matter of fact, Coach John McFadden was with me on that staff. And then from there, I took some time off, started a family, went back to school to get my degree. Then I started coaching again in youth football in 2005. Then I went back to high school in 2009 with the defensive coordinator for which I ran and the head coach for a few years over there. And then I, with my son starting high school, I ended up at Olympian, and that's where I'm at now. That's a, it's funny you you say that you had kind of the same path uh, my dad did when you know I got to high school. Uh, was it was it something where you know wherever Noah went was where you're going to coach, or uh, did it just happen to work out that that was going to be your next step anyway? It kind of worked out because when when Noah started high school, I wanted to to be about him and not me. Uh, I was ready to uh, be an assistant coach. I was a head coach. I was off campus, and that was pretty difficult. But uh, yeah, pretty much wherever Noah went, and if the staff wanted me, I was gonna I was gonna help coach. But I never coached him directly. But uh, anyone I wasn't happy though, <laughs> I certainly did. How was that experience for you? You know, even though you said you didn't coach him directly. Um, but being part of the same team that your son was on um, for you know for four years, you know I think it, it, I was coaching before I was married, before I had kids, so I kind of understood the uh, father and son relationship that I had to keep it separate, especially on the field, especially in front of the other coaches, and, and especially in front of the kids. Um, I think I did a great job doing that. Most of our conversations uh, about football were in private, uh, but. I think I did a pretty good job of, of separating uh, the father-son aspect uh, from the coaching uh, to football player. I think I did a pretty good job doing that. Yeah, we we all know that you probably had uh, you know your own coaching points in the house uh, as a dad. Uh, you know, I, I experienced that with my dad coaching me as well. Um, so you're at Olympian right now. You guys are off to a one and three start. Not necessarily ideal for you, but uh, you know, what do you guys got to do to start to you know bounce to to bounce back in this season? You know, we're a young team, you know, led by seniors Jared Desmond and DeMar Thornton. Uh, we can easily be, you know, those two games we lost against Santa Fe and Poway, those could have easily been wins for us. We lost to Santa Fe in overtime. I lost 14-0 to Poway, a couple penalties, and got balls here. Yeah. But, you know, we just got to coach better and play better. You know, for some reason, Olympian, kind of, since I've been there, we've kind of started off slow, but come playoff time, we're always in the hunt. And uh, we always got a shot to, to go all the way in our division. You guys play a really tough schedule, it seems, almost <laughs> every year. Uh, you got Torrey Pines on the schedule. You got Cathedral Catholic on the schedule. I know you're not the one, um, you know, individually making the schedule for the team, but you know the ins and outs. Uh, it also seems to me you guys play a lot of wing T teams, which is kind of the similar offense you guys run. Is that just a coincidence, or uh, you just uh, like playing wing T schools? I think this year is a coincidence. You know, there's advantages and disadvantages of having a tough schedule. The advantage is if you're able to get out of the uh, non-league schedule healthy, they prepare you for league. You know, you see the top-notch team, so during league you're, you're already seeing a high-level play. Some of the disadvantages when you play those teams is, you know, injuries. Uh, we don't have as much depth as other schools. So, um, you know, we just want to come out of non-league healthy. And if we do that, I think we're going to compete. You got Point Loma on Friday. 
Uh, the pointers coming at two and two. Uh, you're lucky to play them at home because for some reason Point Loma hasn't seemed to be able to figure out the road yet. But uh, I know you've watched them on film. What are some thing, things Point Loma does well that you guys need to stop or you're kind of concerned of? You know, the defense, you know, I'm a defensive on the side of the ball, but watching their defense, the defense is really well. So, you know, we definitely got to get the points on the board. Our defense has been playing well, uh, despite Tory Pines. Besides that game, we've been doing pretty well. Um, they got number three. I'm not sure what his name is, but uh, he hurt his bad last year. So he's one of the top players. I know they're kind of young, but uh, I know they're a real good team. They had a tough battle with Rancho Bernardo, who's a top-ranked team. Uh, you know, they had Otai 17-0 and, and uh, ran out of gas and lost that game 19-17. So we know their potential. You know, they're probably like us, you know, trying to find an identity, trying to find um, uh, a winning streak, a spark, and, and you know, it's going to be a good game. It's a Division two matchup, and uh, this has playoff seeding implications. Let's get into your league just a little bit, and uh, a lot of when we're talking about league play in, in San Diego, they talk about the Avocado League, they talk about the Western League, but that Metro Mesa League's tough too. What can you say about the league you guys play in and the passion of the South Bay when you got teams like East Lake, Otay Ranch, Modern Day, and yourself? You know, the last few years, uh, a couple years ago, we're we're uh, CIF with Modern Day in Division Two. I mean, East Lake, uh, John does a great job over there at East Lake. Uh, in, they went last year to CIF Division One. We're about one play away from playing them in the semis in Division One. Um, you know, we don't we don't have a we don't get a lot of respect that I think we deserve. But you got to remember, we have Olympian, Otai, Mars Day, and East Lake, which are all walking distance from each other. Um, you know, if we had one or two high schools in this area in that area. I think you see two two powerhouses. So. Just for our population and the way we're zoned, uh, we have four high schools in a small area, but uh, you, you, you take the best players from, from all those high schools and put them in two teams, uh, they'll be pretty powerful. Yeah, that's a great point. Something I've never even thought of before, um, because I've played you know high school games, whether it be football or baseball or what have you, at all those schools, and it seems like I'm going to the same school every time, even though I'm going <laughs> to four different schools. Uh, they all seem like they're on the same street. Uh, but you bring up a good point in having the South Bay. If they had two teams, uh, it'd be a lot different. Uh, how has that affected you guys in in terms of numbers for your programs? Because I know that seems to be a problem, uh, not that big of a problem right now, but a, you know a, a new problem that a lot of schools are having in terms of numbers for their program. How's Olympian doing with numbers, and uh, how do you think it's gonna? What's what's your outlook on on that uh, matter? You know, compared to. Years past, we are down in numbers, but fortunately, we're enough to fill the JV, a freshman, uh, and a varsity. Um, we're about 40 deep uh, for all three teams. But in the past, when I was at Otay Ranch in my first year at Olympia, we had 70, 80 kids come out for freshmen. You know, a lot of it had to do with you know uh, football in the media. Um, I know the South Bay schools. Uh, a lot of them aren't building freshman teams or JV teams this year. So it might go back to the way it was when I started playing way back when, where they just had a JV and a varsity or a novice and a varsity. Um, you know, I think it's a risk when you when you put a team out there with 20, 22 kids and expect them to go both ways the whole game and or 24 kids and expect them to play the whole game and you're not getting any, any quality, not getting a quality practice. Because you, you don't have any uh, a good scout, you just have minimal amount of players. So, in the future, I see if, if the trend keeps going, which I hope it doesn't. I see, uh, especially some of the smaller leagues like South Bay uh, League or uh, other metro leagues here, that they'll be just a JV and a varsity. Another uh, thing that's been proposed by uh, some other media members are. You know, potentially some schools just dropping their program and then having their uh, their kids play at a different high school when it comes just to football. Uh, so that might be an interesting thing to see. You might, you know, hopefully this doesn't happen, obviously, but you might have those two super uh, South Bay teams one day. Let's get to uh, yeah. the topic of the week. Um, you know, we uh, discussed it earlier on the show. We've had two coaches. Coach Lexina of the Olympian Eagles they got a big game against Point Loma on Friday. Coach Lexina, thanks for joining me tonight. Oh, thank you very much for having me. 
Relaine, let's get to uh, our topic of the week. And, you know, you have the model run it up. But, you know, I know you're a, you're a classy guy and you, you treat the game with respect. So I'm curious to get uh, your, your input on this. But we're talking about teams that, you know, all right, you're up 50 points. You know, it looks like they asked for a running clock. We're gonna try to we're trying to uh, die it down a little bit, but is it a two way street? Do you believe it's a two way street where the other team needs to you know play part of the unwritten rules as well? What is your opinion on the whole uh, unwritten rules of of being up by a lot of points? Um, for me personally, you know, I tell my guys, you know, uh, I get it if you're about fifty. You know, in the, in the third, fourth quarter, you know, especially you know, to me, I always tell my guys we're gonna play how we play for the first three quarters, no matter what. We're about 60, 70, 80. We're going to, you know, we're going to play our offense for the first three quarters. But in the fourth quarter, I get it. You know, you don't, you know, y'all, you, you just run the ball. You know, you don't try to, you know, throw, throw anything or, or do anything deep. But, you know, but sometimes, though, like, you know, you'll line up and, you know, we run a spread. So, you know, we'll be three by one. And then, you know, we got, they're playing cover zero and they're just going all out blitz and just tattooing you know, some of our running backs and stuff like that. So, you know, we see that a lot, you know. So, but I think there's a two-way street because, of you know, defensive coaches are doing that, you know. You know, you could hurt one of our guys. So, with me being able to throw the ball also will kind of give things balanced. But I get it. You know, if you're up by 50, you know, you kind of, you know, you don't want to kick a guy, you know, kick guys while they're down. You know, we're dealing with kids as well. But, you know, but I do believe that you should be able to, you know, run your offense and play, you know, full speed, everything at least for three quarters in the fourth quarter. Then I believe you got to run the ball the entire quarter. But, you know, but I get it both sides. But I'm one of those guys to preach to my guys, you know, we're going to go 100% to the, you know, I can't preach to my guys to go 100% to the, you know, the whistle is blown. And then in the fourth quarter, tell them to, you know, take the foot off the pedal. You know, even in the fourth quarter when we're running the ball, you know, my guys are still getting after it. You know, it's football, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this is kind of what you sign up for. What is your take on it? Because this has happened. I've noticed it in an actual cathedral game. I'll not say what the other team was, but you know the Dons kind of slowed it down near the end, and then all of a sudden the other team they get a first down against the threes of uh, Cathedral's defense, and they start running no huddle after they ask for a running clock, um, and they start doing things that kind of help them in the in the way because they know uh, the team that was winning. It's kind of called off the dogs. Are you okay with that? Is like, what's your opinion? Um, I give my opinion. I'll give my opinion uh, later on in the show. But what is your take on that? Or do you just not even care because you're winning? You know me pretty well, Braden. I think at that point, um, you know, I'm just trying to get guys in, and and I'm not trying to, you know, you know, if a team's going to do that, that's fine. It doesn't bother me. I mean, our headsets are off by that time, and. You know, we're enjoying watching, you know, kids that really maybe sometimes don't get an opportunity to play, play, and, and that's what I'm focused on. You know, we have 70 guys on our team, uh, and, you know, when I get to see a kid in the game that works his tail off, um, if we happen to play a team that's, you know, doing that all of a sudden and we stop them, great. If they score a touchdown and it happened on a 10-play drive, that's 10 plays that my guy got to play. Uh, and so it, it it doesn't make one bit of difference to me. We had one coach that doesn't necessarily care what happens. We got another coach um, that was concerned about player safety in in terms of of toning toning it down when it, you have a big lead. But let's say you have a big lead in the game. You know the unwritten rules are you run between the tackles. You're not running anything deep. You're trying to slow it down. But if the other team loads the box and tries to stop your run, what's your what's your take on that? Is it a one-way street, or do you think both teams should abide by these unwritten rules? I think most of the time both teams abide by by the rules. Uh, but to me, if if you're definitely overtiming the team, and um, I, I would definitely uh, suggest running between the tackles, killing the clock, uh, making sure that both teams get out of there uh, in good shape. But you know, like I, I mentioned before, if if you have backups that don't really play that much, and uh, you know, for like a second string quarterback, and, and you want to put the ball in the air, you know, give him some reps, uh, give him some game time experience. Um, I'm okay with that too, and I understand that also because if we've been in those, I mean, I've been on both sides where we're blowing teams out, and we want to work out, work on some things, and being blown out. And I know other teams put their second team in, but they're also working on some some. Uh, Things to get the second team some reps and some game experience. Thanks again, coaches. We'll talk to you uh, real soon. 
I gotta make this last segment really uh, pretty quick because I uh, made the first segment a little too long. Uh, let's get into the game picks. Can't remember what I went last week, but I know I have a winning record so far. Uh, my uh, upset special of the week last week was Mission Hills over Carlsbad. Got that one. My upset special this week. Well, I'll get to it in a little bit, but let's go through. Um, I'll pick the top ten games, and then we'll get to. Uh, some games around the county that are not involved with the top 10, according to the Union Tribune. Um, starting off with number one here, Torrey Pines. They play El Camino. They should be able to beat El Camino fairly easily. Uh, El Camino's kind of struggling right now. They have a tough schedule ahead of them as well. Um, I don't I don't see Torrey Pines missing a beat in that game. La Costa Canyon Oceanside. Look for Kyron Beecham to, to run around a lot, but LCC is going to probably get the win in that one. Madison, number three in the county, according to the Union Tribune. They're 4-0. They're taking on Vista Marietta, who's 1-2. and uh, Vista Marietta's only win was against uh, Los Alamitos. They won 38-35, uh, which is a tough team that in, in uh, up north. And then they took two off the chin against Orange Lutheran and Norcoach, are two uh, dominant teams in, in California. Vista Marietta's the 39th team ranked in the state. Madison's not too far behind. Look for this one to be a close one. I, I, I want to pick Madison, uh, and I'd love to see them win, but I have a feeling Vista Marietta might win this one. But if Madison wins that game for San Diego, uh, it'll give everybody a boost down here in the ratings for sure. San Marcos comes in at number five. According to the Union Tribune, they host Carlsbad. Uh, look for Carlsbad to bounce back. I think they're going to give San Marcos a really good game, and I think they're going to win that game. Uh, so that's my pick for that game. Uh, Cathedral came in number four, but they're on a bye, so we don't need to pick that. St. Augustine comes in at number six. They're 4-0. They're playing number eight, Helix. Uh, St. Augustine is off to a great start. They're 4-0. And the matchup of this game is going to be St. Augustine's run D against Elion Noah. We'll see if they can are able to slow him down. They held Otay Ranch to seven yards of uh, rushing last week, which is incredible. Um but Elion Noah it does not play for Otay Ranch. He plays for Helix. Daniel Amon. Amon's going to start on Friday at quarterback. So they're close, to, pretty close to full strength. The Highlanders are. Their backs are against the wall. I'm going to go with Helix in this game uh, over St. Augustine. Eastlake, Valhalla. Eastlake's going to cruise to a pretty easy victory as they're uh, seven according to UT, five in Cal Preps. They're playing the number 57th team in San Diego in Valhalla. Eastlake's going to win that one. Already picked the Helix Saints game. Lincoln-Dorsey. Dorsey's off to an 0-3 start. Lincoln's 4-0. Uh, Lincoln beat Dorsey last year. I think they're going to do it again this year. Mission Hills is 10 in the county, according to the Union Tribune. And uh, they play Ramona. 1-3 Mission Hills versus 3-1 Ramona. I think Mission Hills starts their uh, winning streak and continues it after last week's win against Carlsbad. I think they get the win. Let's move on to the games outside of the top 10. Number 69 Nice. In the county, Coronado at Mountain Empire, number 70. Really close matchup here. Both teams are 3-1. and one. Games at Mountain Empire. You know Coach Hines is always looking for a fight. I got the Islanders in this one. Vincent Memorial at Santana, number 50. Vincent Memorial versus number 52, Santana. Another pretty close matchup. Memorial's 3-0. and 3-0. Santana's 3-1. and one. That game's going to be at 7 o'clock. The D5 champion, uh, Vincent Memorial, I think is going to get the win over Santana on Friday. Patrick Henry, 0-4. They're 64 in the county at number 39, Benita Vista, who's 0-4. Benita Vista's played a brutal schedule so far this year. I think they use that to their advantage. I think they beat the Patriots uh, on Friday night. That game is going to be at 6.30 at Southwestern College. Mount Carmel at Vista. Mount Carmel's 0-4 in the year, but they've had a really tough schedule as well. This is going to be my upset special of the week. I think Mount Carmel gets their first win this week at Vista, who's number 18 in the county. That game's at 7 o'clock. Vista comes in with a 3-1 record. Their only loss is to La Costa Canyon, but I really don't think they've played that high level of competition where Mount Carmel has and has had leads against some of these teams. Give me the Sun Devils in that one. Otay Ranch at Steel Canyon, two very evenly matched teams. I think it can go either way. Otay Ranch comes in at number 10, according to Cal Prep. Steel Canyon's number 12. Two and two Otai at two and one Steel Canyon. Uh, you know I've been riding high on Otai all year. They took one off the chin last week, a big loss to Saint Augustine. I think they bounce back and get the win over the Cougars on Friday. That game's at seven o'clock. Tri City Christian will travel out to Imperial County where they take on Central, who's four and zero. Oh. Fifty-eight Tri City Christian, twenty-six Central. Central's a good ball club out there. They got a good team out in the Inland Empire that a lot of are not in Imperial County rather. 
that doesn't get a lot of love out there. I think Central gets it done and moves to 5-0. and Fallbrook at Escondido, 62, ranked Fallbrook in the county versus 42nd ranked Escondido. Both teams are 2-2. Two and two. I like the way Escondido's been playing so far, and uh, I'm going to go with uh, Escondido in this one. That game's at 7 o'clock up at Escondido. Last game we're going to pick, Battle for the Bear on the Bear Road up there in Escondido. 71, Orange Glen, who's off to a 3-0 start. I can't remember the last time Orange Glen's off to a 3-0 start, uh, but they're looking they're looking better than they have in years past. At San Pasqual, their big-time rivals, 2-2. Two two. That game will be at 7 o'clock at San Pasqual. Uh, look for the Eagles, the Golden Eagles, to, uh, to soar in this one over Orange Glen. So just to recap real quick before uh, I'll let you guys go. I got Torrey over El Camino. I got LCC over Oceanside. I got Vista Marietta over Madison. I got Carlsbad over San Marcos. I have Helix over St. Augustine. I got Eastlake over Valhalla. Lincoln over Dorsey. Mission Hills over Ramona. Coronado over Mountain Empire. Vincent Memorial over Santana. Benita Vista over Patrick Henry. Mount Carmel over Vista, my upset special of the week. Otai Ranch over Steel Canyon. Central over Tri-City Christian. Escondido over Fallbrook. And San Pasquale over Orange Glen. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Inside the Huddle Podcast. It's been a great time, as always, talking to assistant coaches this time, mixing in some top 25s and, and strength of schedules and all that. Be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes and everything else, SoundCloud, where we post it. Check out all our past interviews that we had. Had a pretty good week last week as well uh, with some interviews and, and some uh with our show we only had two interviews last week but i i enjoyed them so be sure to check out all our old episodes our game picks check out the football podcast on southern california prep insider uh that we put together every monday uh this week we were at kearney high school if you want an in-depth look at kearney high school and their uh 3-0 start they have be sure to check that out as well so for tommy morris for christian Pedersen, noah laxina Everybody involved in San Diego County with Southern California Prep Insider. You've been listening to Inside the Huddle with Braden Sprint. See you guys. Next week.